0: To just mention, it is uh, obviously yesterday was September 11th, 2021, and we did take the opportunity to remember uh, the sacrifice of so many that took place that day. One of the things that was a highlight uh, for me that came from that time period obviously, most of us probably remember where we were when all of those things began to happen. Uh, I was living in Colorado Springs at the time, and as uh, being in Colorado Springs, there are so many military facilities close by, uh, immediately the, uh, the airways got shut down. There were no airplanes that were in the air for about a week or so after that, but not where we were. And that's because uh, you had Peterson Air Force Base, Schriever Air Force Base, you had the Air Force Academy, Fort Carson, you had NORAD, you had all these different facilities. I don't know if I've ever seen as many planes as what we saw over that following week, and it's because the United States government was so concerned that there might be a little bit more that was going to take place, so they were trying to protect us, but what stood out to me the most was not what happened through the airplanes and all of the other things that were taking place. That following Sunday became the highest attended Church Sunday, talking about the percentage of people since the end of World War II. It's because in the midst of crisis, our nation realizes the need to turn back to the Lord. I know that we so often want good things, but sometimes in the midst of some of the difficulty and the hardship, we are reminded of how much we desperately need God. And that was something good that came out of something very evil. Um, I do want to just say, Sherry, when she was up here, she said I made her nervous. Uh, There was a reason why I made her nervous. Yes, yeah, because I'm taller, that's why. Um, actually, the uh, there was a funeral that I did a, f- a few years back, and it was a large funeral, probably about 300 or so people, and the family decided that they wanted to open up the funeral for family members and friends to come up and, and just share, and of course... I told them, I said, there's a danger in that because some might come up and hijack the service, especially when you have 300 plus people that are present. So when I introduced that time, I just shared with them, I said, I will not tell you that it's time to, to stop talking. But if you start to talk in too long, I will walk over and I will simply put my arm around you and you know what that means. So sure enough, we get into this and there are several people that have come up and one guy comes up and he starts talking and talking and talking, and there's a part of me that immediately wants to walk over, but I waited. And finally, it got to that point where I realized I didn't have a choice. So I walked over, and just as I was about to put my arm around him, he stopped, he said, don't touch me. (laughs) Because he knew what it would mean that it was time for him to stop talking. He said, I'm almost done, it's okay. So Sherry was afraid that I was going to do that to her this morning, so I'm glad that I didn't have to do that with you, so. Most of you have heard the question, what if actually most of you have probably asked the question, what if that phrase can strike fear in all of our hearts and minds as we consider all the things that could go wrong in our world, especially when it comes to finances. I was thinking about this question this week and starting a new series today that is entitled what if. I was thinking about insurance companies. You know, most of what they sell is based on the question, what if? What if someone were to die? What if someone were to get sick? What if someone were to lose their job? And really what they're selling is that question, what if? In regard to our finances, security is one of our basic needs. And thinking about all the what ifs can cause panic and anxiety when we think about all of our future plans. But what if the what if question wasn't as much about fear, but rather about possibility and opportunity? What if when we trust God, he can do far more with what we give in our lives than what we could ever possibly imagine on our own? What if we decided to put it in his hands? Over the next three weeks, we'll be asking the question, what if? Where we'll be imagining what God might choose to do through us if only we would really trust him with what he has already blessed us with. And I'm going to tell you already, I know that it makes some people a little bit uncomfortable when the pastor talks about money. But you also need to realize that even Jesus talked about money and actually talked about it quite a bit. Sometimes he was teaching about the value of good stewardship, using your financial resources responsibly, and sometimes it was simply the tool that Jesus used that people could easily understand. Talking about money was just a normal thing. It was a part of the conversation. Well, my plan is to talk about money over the next several weeks, but also to help you understand that God is not merely interested in your tithes. For sure, he is interested in us tithing, but he's also interested in what you use your resources for outside of the church. Know that poor stewardship is about more than not tithing, it is about taking care of the blessings which God has given to you and to me. And that shows up in many, many different ways. So, If you would, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles for a few moments to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 6, and I want to read verses 19 through 34. I want you to see one of the things that Jesus said about money. If you keep this passage in its proper context while you're turning there, you'll see that leading up to this conversation, Jesus has been teaching about practical Christian living. He's not just talking about money. First, he did talk about helping those who are in need. And then he talked about praying and fasting. And now we see him specifically identifying the issue of stewardship of financial resources. What that tells me is this wasn't some forced conversation. Oh, here he is talking about money again. That's what people say about pastors sometimes. That's all they ever talk about is money. I'm guessing nobody ever said that about Jesus. Instead, this was just practical stuff that people needed to know about. So keep in mind keep this in mind as I share this with you this morning. Look at it with me. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. If you have the NIV or the King James or whatever you may use, That's great. Actually, it'll help you to be able to hear how others have translated this. In the New Living Translation, this is what it says, beginning in verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, There the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, well, how deep that darkness truly is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him is enough for today. Let me suggest to you, it's probably one of the most practical passages that you will find in the New Testament. There's a part of this, it almost sounds like something you would have read from Proverbs. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. That sounds like a proverb. Well, actually, this is Jesus who is speaking. There are multiple things that are covered in this passage, and I want to look at A few of them this morning. The first is what I will call proactive generosity. This is in keeping with Jesus's conversation earlier in the chapter as he spoke of taking care of the needy. That's really where this chapter begins. If you see a need and you're able to help meet that need, then do something about it. That's called being proactive, not waiting for the pastor to tell you what you're supposed to do. If you see the need, do something about it. I've heard people say that such generosity is important because you have an open door to share other more important truths with people. They say, I've heard individuals say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's what my pastor used to say all the time when I was growing up. While I agree very much with this statement, it's not the reason that we meet the needs of others. We meet the needs of others because we are the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. When you see a need that is present in your life, maybe a friend, a family member, someone you pass by on the street, someone who is hurting, you do whatever you can. That is being the hands and feet of Jesus. Do whatever you can to meet that need. You don't need the pastor to tell you what to do, and you don't even need to get anything in return. It's called generosity, proactive generosity. Let me suggest to you that the one who is proactive in generosity does not ask about what what it is going to cost me. Instead, they ask about what kind of difference can they make through their resources. It's not about what they're going to get back, but it's what they already have and they have the opportunity to invest in someone else. That's their what if question, not what if I do this, how is this going to hurt me or how much is this going to cost me, but how much of a difference can I make by being generous in the lives of other people? But such generosity does not begin and end at a local food bank. It also includes the tithe. Did you know that tithing is actually an act of generosity? Now, I will say there's a difference between generosity and tithing, and we'll look at that in the coming weeks. But I want to encourage you today that as we are proactively generous, we also should be faithful in tithing. Tithing is an interesting term because it's one of those terms that we do not use outside of the Christian church. There are many. Ideas regarding what tithing actually means. That's why statistically, according to George Barna research, among those who would call themselves Christians, just over half, 56%, give a tithe on a somewhat regular basis. Now that sounds really good. That's you're talking about over half of the church. But even among them, the average amount given is estimated to be between Two or around two and a half percent of their income. So let's start today by identifying what a tithe is not. The first thing that we see is that the tithe is not a tax. You have all this in your bulletin, so hopefully this will help you follow along. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story of two people who gave their tithe. Listen to it beginning in verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, I thank God that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers, I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, it's interesting that they both gave the required amount when they went to the temple. They both prayed, and then they both gave what they were supposed to. Yet Jesus says that only one of them returned home justified before God. You see, if this were just a tax, then the heart is irrelevant. When was the last time the IRS asked you how much you appreciated the opportunity to give back to them? Do they care if you're a joyful giver? Of course not. They just want their money. Actually, they want your money but God is just as concerned with the condition of your heart, if not even more so. It's not a tax. The second thing that I want you to know today is that the tithe is not the leftovers. Don't you love leftovers? I actually do love leftovers. Man, I could eat the same pizza at least three or four days if it would last that long. I could eat leftovers all the time. I love it. But the tithe, is not your leftovers. In Malachi chapter one, the people of Israel are being called out for their lack of respect for the Lord. And of course they plead ignorant. I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean that we haven't given respect to the Lord? Well, Malachi's response to them is pretty direct. Listen to Malachi 1.8. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I want you to think about this for a minute. So you've been asked to give something to the Lord, and everybody's required to give when they go to the temple. So you're supposed to bring an animal, and it's supposed to be something that basically shows your appreciation, your Gratefulness for God's faithfulness to you. So you look and you've got these healthy, beautiful animals that they're producing all kinds of fruit. And then you've got this other animal that's diseased and about to die. Well, you know what? I could give that one. It wouldn't even cost me anything. That would be great. So that's what the people are doing. They are literally giving God that which is completely useless to them, something that is of no value whatsoever. Well, you don't give to God what is left over. You don't give him just the things that really don't matter to you, things that you couldn't use anyways. Instead, you give your best to the Lord. What too many of us do is we spend money on everything else, and then if there's anything left over, then we'll put money in the plate on Sunday morning. So we've paid for our dinner and a movie, our cable bill, Tickets to the game, a nicer car, whatever else you can think of. And then we think to ourselves, well, I don't don't want to leave God out. But God expects more than the leftovers. We'll look at this a little bit later in the series, but God is the one who gave all that you have in the first place. So it makes sense that he deserves our best and not just what's left over. That's why Numbers 18, 29 instructs the people of God that you must be sure to give to the Lord the best portions of the gifts given to you. Give God your best, not your leftovers. There's one more thing that I want to point out that the tithe is not this morning. It is not optional for those who are in the body of Christ. Christ. Listen to the words of Deuteronomy 14, verse 22 through 23. It says, You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. I want you to notice I kind of didn't put a lot of emphasis on it there because that's sometimes the way we read. We don't even pay attention to some of the things that are in there. I want you to notice that it did not say at the beginning there that you ought to set aside or you should set aside a tithe of your crops. Instead, it says that you must do this. And I personally love the specific nature of this instruction. Have you ever taken a job without receiving a job description? It's a very dangerous place to be because you never know for sure if you are really doing what the employer expects of you. Well, God lays it out for us. He says, you must set aside a tithe, and then he even identifies the fact that that is one-tenth of everything. Remember earlier, I said that 56% of those who call themselves Christians who are faithful in attending church tithe on a regular basis, but the average amount that is given is only about two and a half percent. This creates a little bit of a problem because God actually expects a tenth. Now, some would suggest that this really doesn't apply to us. We're talking about the Old Testament and its law, and we are now a New Testament-believing church. Okay, I'm going to give you that. But you should know what the New Testament says as well. First, Jesus proclaimed that he did not come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill the law. That means that the same law from the Old Testament in regard to issues like tithing, that same law should still apply. And to be specific with the instruction on tithing, I want you to listen to Jesus' words from Matthew 23, verse 23. He's addressing the hypocritical teachers of the law who they tithed, but they lacked justice, mercy, and faith. And he says this to them. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Did you catch what he said there? This is New Testament. This is actually Jesus and his words. You should tithe. Hmm. Maybe this is a New Testament principle too. It's not just the Old Testament. Well, we talked about what it's not. So now let me take a moment and identify what the tithe is supposed to be. The first thing that I will point out to you is that the tithe is intended to be the first tenth, or sometimes referred to as the first fruits. In your notes, you'll see some instructions on this as recorded in Leviticus 27, verse 30 through 32. But I want to look at this from another biblical story. Do you remember when the Israelites were finally able to enter the promised land? This was under the direction of Joshua, and the first city that they would take was Jericho. In many ways, Jericho was symbolic of power and strength, as they had a huge wall that surrounded their city. It's also sort of a, a trophy for the people of Israel. If you look back at the beginning of Deuteronomy, it says that the Israelites have camped out on the other side of the Jordan across from Jericho, which means that probably for at least that year or two that the book of Deuteronomy is being written, that the Israelites have looked upon Jericho as their desired trophy. They wanted to be able to overcome this city. Well, they enter into the promised land, and this becomes the very first city that they choose to attack. There's one piece of information that is easily missed when reading the story. By the way, they get the victory. They get everything that they wanted. The walls come crumbling down. We know the story. You learned it in children's church. It's found in Joshua chapter 6. And in verse 19, we read a verse that's really important. Again, we probably skip over it most of the time. It says, everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. This is the instruction that as you go into the city, you're going to come across many things of great value. Those things are intended for the Lord. You must give all of them to God. What is interesting about this is that this is the only time that such instructions are given to the people of God. They would come in and they would destroy many other cities in the promised land. But this time, the first city that they would take, God is to receive the first fruits. You are to give to him first and then he will allow you the blessing of all that would come afterwards. I told you a few minutes ago that God did not expect the leftovers. He expects to be first and the best part is that he promises blessings when we do things his way. Listen to Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. And I love this promise. Then he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. Put God first, and he will provide for the rest of your needs. The second thing that I want you to see today that is a part of the tithe is that the tithe is also God's plan of provision for his people. Sometimes we refer to this as storehouse tithing. Deuteronomy 12, instructs us to tithe a tenth to the church or to the temple, not some other good organization. And the purpose of this is specifically to provide for the needs of others. And when I say others, that includes meeting the needs of administration and benevolence. First, with regard to administration, this includes the pastor and the staff. I hate that the rest of my staff is not here today. There are a few that are here, but I'm missing several that normally are. But I want you to know that, first of all, them not being here does not mean they're not a part of this church. Actually, they're out serving the Lord. They're out proclaiming the good news of Christ to other people. That is what God has called us to do. That is not limited to those who are pastoral staff. But he clearly has called some to serve in that capacity. I am so grateful we have a church that has been supportive of the pastoral staff. But you need to recognize that not all have done that. Listen to what happened in Nehemiah 13, verse 10 and 11. Nehemiah said, I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food. So they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work their fields. In other words, they were out doing other things because they could not afford to take care of themselves or their family. He said, I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. Apparently, caring for the administration was very important to god a side note i said it already our church has been very generous and we are very grateful for that it is so good that when we have to pay bills that the money is there to pay bills and it's because you have been generous and i do express my appreciation for that but it's not just about taking care of pastors it's also about meeting the needs among our church family in acts chapter 2 we see that the church had everything in common and that they shared what they had specifically for the purpose of meeting financial needs in the lives of other people. That is what's supposed to happen. And in Acts 4, verse 34 and 35, we see what happens when the church takes care of one another, when we take this responsibility seriously. It says, there were no needy people among them, because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. And Generally, this was not done solely for the purpose of recognition. There were individuals who they wanted people to know how much they gave. But the reality is most simply did it because there were people in need and they wanted to help. You have no idea how good it feels to know that your generosity is able to make a difference in the lives of other people. Sometimes we give and we don't even realize the difference that it's making. On many occasions, I've been the one who was able to deliver your gifts to those in need. And I got to tell you, it feels amazing. As the pastor, to be able to see needs that are being met and to know it was because people chose to be generous, it is an incredible blessing to know that a family didn't have what they needed to put food on the table or to pay for electricity, and your generosity helped make it a reality for them. It's amazing. Over the years, I've had the privilege of being on the giving and receiving end of such generosity, and it really does matter. I can never give names, but there are other people who are here today that have been on both sides of this equation. Some of you have had needs and you knew that this church was the place to turn for help. And I love that. And then there are those who have come to me solely for the purpose of secretly giving money to meet a need in someone else's life. Again, I love that. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. To be faithful and generous meeting the needs of other people and this feeds the next point for you this morning tithing is also supposed to be something that we give freely it's not something that you do because of compulsion because you're forced to do it you do it because you know that what you do makes a difference listen to the words of second corinthians 9 verse 7 through 9 You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. You know, I love the cyclical nature of this passage. Give cheerfully, and God will provide all that you need. And then you'll have everything you need and leftovers to share with other people. So here's this idea, you give and God gives back, and then you have what you need, so you give again, so that you continue to meet needs and God continues to bless us. us. But the real point of me, including this passage, is not about God giving you more and more is to point out the joy that comes from such generosity. The term cheerful in verse seven is a pretty good translation, but it would probably be more accurately translated as hilarious. In other words, there is such joy that comes from giving that it ought to cause you uncontrollable laughter and celebration. So I encourage you this morning as you will give in the offering bucket at the end of our service. I want to hear some laughter and celebration. I want us to be so cheerful when we choose to give that it causes us to do our happy dance. You don't have to dance. I know we're all Wesleyans. But it ought to make us have a sense of peace and joy that is overwhelming because we know that what we're doing matters and it makes a difference. Some will not give in the service, some give online. If you got to dance around your table because you're at home doing this, you dance around your table. Let other people know the joy that it com- that comes to you simply because you're doing what God asked you to do. Think about the lives that are being touched by your generosity, the needs that are being met, the gospel message that will be proclaimed because you chose to be faithful, in tithing and rejoice over the opportunity that you have to be involved in such a great work. I got a couple more items that I, I may skim over a little bit here just for the sake of time. But something else that a tithe is intended to be is I put it in your bulletin regular. In 1 Corinthians 16 2, Paul instructs the people, saying, On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. In many ways, this is about being responsible. And this is something that many of us will struggle with when it comes to money. In the coming weeks, we'll talk about this a little bit more and the value in us living on a budget. But too many of us separate We operate on the idea that if the money is in the bank account, then I can spend it. The problem with that is that sometimes such money is needed elsewhere, so this will create a problem for us. Maybe this isn't an issue for you, so I want you to hear how this works for far too many people. Imagine you've got money that you owe on your vehicle tax. It's sitting in your bank account. That bill is not due until next month, so you almost forget why it's there. Then your sister calls and says, well, do you want to go to the beach with me? I don't know. Let me check my bank account. Oh, good. Somehow I've got an extra $400 in there. Then that creates a problem next month when you got to pay your vehicle tax that is coming due. So often what happens is we put off the things that we know we ought to do until we reach a point where now it's too big for us to do it. I've had individuals that sometimes they'll come to me, and it, you know it's one thing, I guess, if you're really good with stewardship and budgeting and all of that stuff, but I'll have people that'll come to me and say, November, because the end of the year is coming, and they want to make sure that they get all their tithes in this year so they'll get their tax deduction, which, by the way, I love when people decide to give extra money during those time periods because it's still beneficial to the church, but. What happens so often is they'll come to me in November and say, well, you know, Pastor, can you find out how much I still need to give on my tithe for this year? And most of the time, I have absolutely no idea. I don't check the, the giving records of every individual, and I will say that I, I do ask Kadar to let me know if there's ever a board member that's not tithing, because I don't think you should be in leadership if you're not tithing. Uh, same thing with my staff. I, I, that's the only way that I even look into that. But people will ask me, can you just find out if I owe, if I need to give anything else for the end of the year for my tithes? And again, it's great if you got a bunch of money sitting in savings, but sometimes it's been since May. And now you want me to find out how much you need to give in December, and that's a lot. And sometimes you're just not going to catch up. The same thing happens sometimes with tithing. We intend to tithe, but something else comes up. So Paul tells the people not to wait on the tithe, but rather give it regularly. And By the way, this fits very well with the first fruits principle that I already mentioned. One of the reasons this act of tithing is so important is that it is also an act of worship. We think of worship, we typically think of music, standing and singing together and lifting our voices. We think of the word being proclaimed and even us reading at home. And those are a part of worship. But when we choose to give tithes and offerings, it is also an act of worship. Everything we do ought to be a part of worship. When you give to God, there is an element of recognition. As you recognize who gave you the resources that you have and who deserves our everything which is God. So worship him with your tithes and offering. What else is tithing? This one some might push back on. It's okay, I got scriptural support. Tithing is also a test. My guess is that most of you have heard a sermon at some point in your life on Malachi 3.10, where we are instructed to test the Lord in this. My paraphrased version of this says, That as we are generous, he will bless you more than you ever could have imagined. But I think there's another aspect of this testing regarding our finances. It's found in Luke chapter 16, verse 11. It says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? You see, in this view, it's not that God is being put to the test, but it's the recognition that God has blessed us, and in many ways, he is testing us to see how we handle the few things he has already given to us. I believe that the greatest blessings that God has to offer are not financial. In fact, I would say that the financial blessings are minuscule compared to to what God really offers. Money is a temporary thing, and it seems that no matter how much you have, you will eventually run out of it anyways. And if you're not trustworthy with the little things, like money, then what suggests that you will be trustworthy with the big things that God has to offer to you? I guess this is very much about perspective, If you give a child a quarter, they can feel like they're the richest person in the world. But the older we get, the more we need in order to satisfy us. But then again, what we eventually realize is that no amount of money is ever really enough. And too often we find ourselves trying to live for the almighty dollar as opposed to simply living for the Lord. The last thing that I will say regarding what tithing is, tithing is also a a way that God blesses you and I. I read earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and one of the principles that we see in that passage is that if you sow sparingly, you will also reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you will reap generously. And I think the phrase that I used to hear in school was that you get what you put into it. It wasn't always a financial principle, but it certainly fits here. So today I call on you as the body of Christ to be faithful to tithe. If you haven't been tithing, now is the time for you to start. It means giving a tenth. If you have been tithing, but not quite a tenth, then now is the time for you to begin giving what God has instructed you to give. If you've been tithing a tenth, I call on you to remain faithful with your generosity. Know that it pleases the Lord, and it truly does make a difference in the lives of others and for the purpose of expanding God's kingdom. Guess what? It also benefits you. Tithing is what Christians do. If we are part of the body of Christ, this is not one of those optional things. I was talking with someone this week. obviously knew that this was where I was going with the message. And what, The individual made the statement that tithing is not. Sometimes there are people who they think, well, you know, I know that I'm fully devoted to God because now I'm tithing. Here's the thing. The tithe is not what you do when you reach the pinnacle of Christianity. That's the bare minimum that God expects of us. So make sure that you're faithful with what God is calling you to do, to give generously to him. Give your best. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we recognize that you have blessed us more than we could ever imagine, more than we deserve. And I pray right now that you would help us to be faithful to use what you've given for your good. Well, thank you for the generosity of your people. Thank you for the fact that this church has a great track record of generosity. Sherry got up and shared earlier about faithfulness toward giving, and we do celebrate because we have seen the impact of such generosity. When needs arise, we are able to respond. When there are families that need help here in the community, we are able to respond. Whatever it is, we have been so blessed by the generosity of your people. But we cannot say thank you enough for that. But I pray that as people are faithful in giving, that you would continue to provide and bless and open up other doors that maybe we could even meet more needs than we ever dreamed possible. Lord, I pray that generosity would result in blessing that would lead to more generosity. But Lord, I pray also that every individual in this room would understand the need for faithfulness in our giving of tithes and offering. Not just when we've got a little bit extra, not just when we got another $20 bill. But Lord, may it become a priority in our lives that we would give our best to you all the time. Father, I praise you. I praise you for what you are going to do through the generosity of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do need to apologize. As I walked away there just a moment ago from the pulpit, I realized that I lost all volume, and it's not the sound man's fault. So when I prayed, I looked down and realized I apparently forgot to turn my mic on for this entire service. Thank you for making up for my shortcoming by having this on the whole time. So. Um, anyways, as you leave today, there are individuals who will be set up at the doors so people can feel free to tithe. I do want to also mention some give online. I started to say you'd be free to die. That's not what I meant to say. There are some who give online, and you are certainly welcome to do that. There are some great options to be able to do that, so if you are one of those, make sure you take advantage of that as well. Thank you for being with us today, and go in peace.